You're listening to the Free As You Like public edit of Nonfic Pod, brought to you by Burnham Cod. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to hear more, why not look for Patreon Nonfic Pod? And there, for just a very small monthly payment, you can support us to make this show and hear the amazing bonus content in which our weekly guest tells us the shit they wish they'd known when they first started out. Empty the bowl. Bowlers dropped the bowl. Oh shit. You are listening to Nonfic Pod with Burn. Hello and Cod. Hello, hello. On this fantabulous episode, I will be speaking to the poet and nature writer and editor. And actually, I'll leave all that for the intro because I'm going to say all these things in a minute when I introduce her fully. But Nina is great so all-round brilliant you know just lovely people who just exude loveliness and lovely gets a bad press as a word and it shouldn't it feels insipid but it's not it's tough in a shitty world to be a really nice person it's fucking tough it is pardon my not nice language (laughs) yeah i we have been so i hesitate to use the word blessed because it always feels like it should have a hashtag in front of it but we have had the best interviewees on this series so far haven't we absolutely so i apologize listeners if i sound in awe but it's when i find a calm person who is calm and lovely i'm like wow that's magic how do you do it yes exactly (laughs) what is your secret (laughs) And I wish we'd had longer to chat, but probably it's a relief for Nina that she got to escape. There's a lot of reference in the book to calligraphy and Chinese characters, Mandarin and I think Cantonese and a a language called Hakka. And we didn't talk about it at all. She did say at one point, well, it's all in the book. I've written it in the book. If anyone wants to ask me about the book, they could just read the book. So you won't get a full thing of the book in this interview, but you will get some nice bonus extra things around the book. You may also get the occasional bit of noise interference, which we were trying to combat during the interview, but alas, we did not have those superpowers. So apologies if that blights the sound quality for you, but also just try and focus on the positives, guys. You know, there's a lot to love in this. I do like those interviews where, yeah, it's wonderful when you can give listeners like a taste of the book, particularly because we are so lucky that we quite often get copies of this book before it sort of hit the general market. But of course, the author has written the book and then publicised the book and is possibly slightly fed up of talking about the book. Episodes like this, where what we actually get is kind of an insight into the author rather than the book, I think are really lovely. I look forward to sharing more of Nina with you guys. And I share Georgie's uh, just immense gratitude to her for coming on and talking about so many things. Nina Minyapals is a self-described anxious poet, zine maker and dumpling queen from Aotearoa, which, if you don't know it yet, is the Maori name for New Zealand. So know it. Nina is the author of three poetry collections, Field Notes on a Downpour, Luminescent and Magnolia, a food memoir, Tiny Moons, A Year of Eating in Shanghai, and to top it off is the founding editor of Bitter Melon, a small press based in London that publishes work from the Asian diaspora. Her latest book is Small Bodies of Water, a lyrical essay collection that won the inaugural Nan Shepherd Prize for underrepresented voices in nature writing. Reflecting on a girlhood spent between cultures, 
Nina's mixed Malaysian Chinese heritage and dream like watery scenes around the world. The book has already attracted heaps of praise for its elegance, style and transportive qualities. Nina, it's been two years since Small Bodies won the Nan Shepherd, and this summer the book is finally out with the world. So how are you feeling about it? Yeah, I actually couldn't believe it when you said two years just then because time has like both contracted and expanded. <laughs> and I can't believe that was two years ago, but I guess it's true. It feels good. It feels weird. The idea that, yeah, this thing that does feel that I've been working on it for a while is going to be out in the world is very weird, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> so could you talk me through the process? Did you submit a whole book, a whole essay collection to Nan Shepherd? Yeah, so I submitted probably about half of the essays that are in the book. Um, sorry, my cat is like roaming around, by the way. Chaos hour for my cat right now. So that's okay. <laughs> yeah, back to the prize. I submitted probably about half of it with like a proposal. So you just had to submit a proposal, which felt very doable at the time. <laughs> and so I um, worked on it a lot with my editor and the final version kind of has ended up being quite heavily edited version of that half that I submitted with my proposal, plus some planned pieces that I said I would put in and also some kind of brand new, more recent essays as well. So yeah, it was quite a long process with so much guidance, which was really amazing to, to have lots of different steps and lots of different deadlines because I work really, really well with deadlines. Without a deadline, I can't do anything. So. Same, absolutely same. And is the book that you've ended up with, is this the book that you envisaged? That's a great question. I think so, which is good, in, in the sense that I don't feel like really bad about, <laughs> about the final product. So um, yeah, so I'm pleased with it. I don't know what I pictured at the beginning, actually. I think maybe I just had a kind of vague idea of the structure and and how it might look as an actual book the cover I am really really happy with and I think it does here it is <laughs> you can't see it but I'm holding it <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm holding one too and and no one can see it how would you describe the cover to people who can't see it right now so my favorite thing about it is obviously the colors and I'm obsessed with color it's very bright blue and yellow and pink but I love most of all is that it's hand painted by Gil, the artist um, at Canongate, who's amazing. I love, it's got like bright yellow end papers and then bright pink. Oh, what do you call these? Flaps? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's go flaps. Yeah, yeah anyway, the, the, the colours are all, it's very bright, very bright, which I really love. So it has actually ended up being uh, what I thought it would be. Um, I, w I definitely knew from the outset that it wasn't going to be a kind of normal memoir with a kind of narrative arc and a very clear beginning, middle and end. And I knew, I knew that from the beginning. And luckily, my amazing editor stuck with me on that and didn't tell me that it had to ha have be like a regular story because I can't do that because I'm a poet. <laughs> so it doesn't really have a... Um, narrative arc and that's fine that's what I wanted 
that brings me to something I was really wondering about when I was reading through the book. You've just said, I'm a poet. Yeah. Is it important to you to define yourself as a writer in that way? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I think actually going through the process of writing, like to me, quite quite a long, it's not even that long by kind of publishing standards, but a long, um, substantial book of prose uh, has made me really clearly feel that I am a poet <laughs> and not like a prose writer but but maybe I'm like a poet who writes yeah I am a poet who writes prose I do write a lot of prose I first started out writing creative nonfiction and essays that was the first like writing workshop I ever took so I do keep coming back to it and I am obsessed and I am very often reading uh, lots of memoir and essays which I really love but then I just quite often will get a bit sick of it and have to kind of hide back into, yeah, hide as a poet again. And, um, yeah, people have asked me before, like, are you, what's next? Like, are you going to write more essays or write a novel? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just going to stick to poetry now, which might not be true, but just it's how I feel at the moment because this writing this did feel really really long and it's like I said it's not a long book it's just long for me because I'm a poet (laughs) you're also somebody who's taken it in her hands to publish so before you've had access to be able to get things out there fairly quickly how did you find that compared to what it's like going through a big publisher like Canongate (laughs) really different obviously both great and in different ways But yeah, I started out kind of when I first started writing poetry. This is in Wellington where I grew up. I started out as a zine maker, making zines and selling zines at Wellington Zine Fest. And so that's how I got into small kind of DIY publishing and just handmade books, which I loved. And that's kind of how Bitter Melon started because I wanted to make really nice little handmade poetry books. And so that's the idea behind that really. And which is, you know, maybe kind of the opposite end of the publishing spectrum to publishing a book with quite an established publishing house. Um, They are independent though, which is awesome. So yeah, it's just really different. But I think it did make me, like I said before, want to... (laughs) kind of retreat into the zine making world and not because it was bad at all just very different and there's lots more things that you have to do (laughs) when you you know put a book out in the world which is all part of it and and it's brilliant but um yeah I do love zine making tell me about the things that you have to do now (laughs) that you've had to do for the book because it sounds what are you needing to do (laughs) I've made it sound so sinister No, it's just such a strange time, I think, to have a book out. And the pandemic, I think, has just really reduced my capability for, I mean, yeah, for absolutely everything. (laughs) So, and and it's been such a strange year for everyone. And for me, I had a year of so much time to myself just being at home because I was working in a library and the library closed and so didn't have a job for most of the year and was just throwing myself into other hobbies. And then suddenly to, to have now to things really 
quite different and I've got I've somehow ended up with two part-time jobs which I didn't mean to do and so now it's just kind of it's kind of summer frantic activity I think that's what it is and I think as a poet as well you're not used to to being asked to do lots of interviews and things it does yeah it does happen but you can kind of get away with just hiding like I said before I keep talking to, about wanting to hide but <laughs> I understand <laughs> and I think I do have that reaction sometimes which is funny because I'm currently doing this podcast with you but of you put a book out there and it's like I've said what I need to say is all in the book so why do I need to talk about it anymore which is funny there is loads to talk about it's just that you know if you just I'm shy <laughs> pull her out well done shy girl like how that sounded sarcastic I actually mean it because it is a weird process it is a weird process you've spent so long crafting this thing mm. making sure everything's in there and then you get to publication and suddenly everyone's asking you maybe the same questions digging into the same things is there anything you feel that you didn't get to put in the book that you really wish was in there oh um that's a great question I think I might have liked to squeeze in <laughs> a bit more kind of writing about art, which I just did a little bit in a couple of the essays in the book. Writing about visual art, I mean, it felt like this, it felt really fun and a little bit new for me, but I did feel like I wanted to do kind of more reading in this particular area, kind of criticism and personal essays relating to art before I wrote a lot more so it's just the beginning of that maybe but I really really enjoyed doing that but to be honest I don't think I could have like at the time that that I was writing this I don't think I could have written another essay <laughs> and I think at the beginning my editor because I'm a poet keep coming back to this but my editor was a bit worried about length and so was I because I was like I don't think I can get all this material out of me <laughs> because I like to write short pieces and I like short lines and but in the end it ended up fine because the final essay in the book ended up being a really long chunky one so but yeah it was I found that really hard actually um and I don't think in the end that I was kind of feeling like I had to fill pages or anything like that and I wouldn't want it to feel that way but at the beginning I was worried you know, can I write long enough essays? But sometimes they would, the pieces would surprise me and ended up needing to be longer than I thought. And so that, that ended up all right. Reading through it, I didn't think, wow, this girl has stretched it out. <laughs> I feel like you've got so much in this book. Oh, cool. I guess it's very scattered. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'd use the word scattered because, well... Maybe I'm bringing a negative connotation to scattered. Mm, sure. There's all these themes that rise up and go, like art, like music, food. I mean, I got very hungry reading your book a lot. And obviously swimming and water. Have you done much swimming recently? I've kept thinking, when's she had her last dip? <laughs> yeah, my last dip was last Friday. And I was going to go straight after this, actually. I'm really lucky. I live about half an hour walk from the women's pond in London. So I've been swimming as much as I can since since 
the pond opened again after lockdown lifted and the weather's been a little bit nicer not great but but definitely swimming weather and it's really helped at this really strange transitional time do you mean in kind of terms of continuity yeah probably that's not something I thought about but for me I think and I only noticed this in the last year or so but it really does build some kind of resilience um I'm sure physical but I don't really mean physical but emotional resilience yeah so quite often I won't feel like swimming at all but then I'll go and then I'll feel much better afterwards and a bit kind of a bit less I was gonna say weepy that sounds really awful but but yeah just a less overwhelmed less overwhelmed definitely I love that line you included overheard in the ladies pond that euphoria is hypothermia that moment when you're in the water and you're just like and it's so so cold and everything kind of shuts down and wakes up at the same time Mm. and I've never thought about it like that but it did feel reading it that you were kind of pushing at those limits yeah that's that kind of comes from a different time a different type of swimming than now of course because it's quite although it's not warm but it's certainly not cold and so it feels very different but there is still that element of well sometimes when it's gray and windy forcing yourself to to get in the water which definitely happens a lot when it's autumn yeah like I said in the book I would say I'm an autumn swimmer but not a winter swimmer you're not chucking ice at yourself in the shower in the morning no not yet not yet <laughs> okay just checking I have one last question to ask you for the main interview bit and that is, do you think there is such a thing as a non-fiction poet? Oh, um, yeah, I think maybe all poets are non-fiction poets. I think that definitely seems to fit with how I write. But then, of course, you know, there's amazing kind of narrative poets and they might not call themselves that at all, which really interests me. But I think maybe because poetry is such a physical bodily form there is always an element of I don't know if truth is the right word because that's kind of a a tricky one but yeah real life real feeling which is maybe non-fiction <laughs> I was thinking we're called non-fic pod we speak to non-fiction writers mm-hmm. and I was wondering maybe we should just have poets every time because I've, <laughs> I've been wondering about this. Where's the line? Yeah, I definitely think I am really influenced by poets who sort of do these, undertake these big research projects and then craft poems that are maybe like found poems or um, just working with scientific material, that kind of thing. I think I really identify with that. Um, And when I very first started out, probably it was Maggie Nelson, who I would would put in that category. And she obviously writes essays and autobiography as well as poetry. And that was all that you're going to hear from Nina, unless you're one of our patrons. If you're a patron, stay tuned for the Shit I Wish I'd Known edit where we delve deeper into Nina's trade secrets. And for the rest of you, you get to hear a little bit more from Georgie and us 
Or you could pop over to Patreon, look for Nonfic Pod, and from just £2 a month, you can sponsor us, which helps us pay for things like our transcription service, which makes each episode far more accessible. And it also helps pay for our hosting, which is the only way we can get the voices of our incredible guests to your ears. I was going to say your hungry ears. That makes no sense whatsoever. Hungry ears. The thing about also paying for our hosting just to clarify guys you're not paying for us we're doing this for free because we like talking to each other and hearing other people we do i'm so immensely grateful to everyone who has supported this podcast either by liking sharing subscribing by rating and reviewing by giving us a little bit of money or even quite a lot of money some of you thank you very much so if you want to hear nina say i'm definitely still figuring this out (laughs) or I think my mum has like just come round. Then pop over to Patreon, back us as non-fic pod, and you will have access to all of our full episodes going back to the very genesis of this series. And we would love to have you as part of our amazing Patreon group. Yeah, we would. Join us. It's not a cult or anything, we promise. It's not a cult. Although we will reward you with a shiny badge with which you can brand yourself. Small Bodies of Water is out now with Canongate Gate and available in the non-fic pod online bookstore. Remember, that shop that's open 24-7 and supports authors and independent booksellers and this podcast. Yes, that's right. Check it out at uk.bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash non-fic pod. You can find Nina at her website, ninapowells.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Nina Minya. Advance warning, some of her photos are going to make you feel very hungry indeed. Nina also writes a monthly-ish newsletter that you can sign up to receive at tinyletter.com forward slash comfort food. Lady, you over there, what have you been reading? Oh, this is amazing. I am currently reading and scribbling in please be aware the book explicitly asks you to do so you will be able to draw by the end of this book by jake spicer now i do not think i will be able to draw like jake spicer by the end of the book because jake spicer is a phenomenal artist and teaches drawing in brighton but this is a lovely lovely book what i was looking for is essentially a directed sketchbook because I had a an art teacher at school. I may have mentioned this before no. on an episode because I have been scarred by it. Who I spent hours and hours one night trying to draw a tap. We were supposed to be learning about highlights or perspective or something, but he didn't give us any information. He just went, here's one piece of paper, go and draw a tap. Now, I did a very bad job at drawing a tap and I erased and I redrew and I erased and I redrew and I literally wept over this piece of homework. For an insecure perfectionist like me, it was hell. And the feedback that I got back was, this is not a serious attempt. Now, I would have accepted this is shit. This is a terrible drawing of a tap, but not this is not a serious attempt. I never worked so hard on a piece of homework in my life. And that stung me so badly. I was literally phobic about putting pencil to paper and drawing things. I remember being part of the Sherlock fandom before it got 
a little intense and in need of a restraining order. And there was a brilliant, someone organized a stick figure bingo where every day there was like, you know, draw a stick figure of, I don't know, Mycroft eating his first McDonald's or something. It was glorious and it was brilliant. And I tried and I literally couldn't draw a stick figure because I would choke. The head's too big. The legs are wrong. How many legs do people have anyway? I can't, I can't, I can't. And then I had my daughter and I was like, I don't want to, teach her that drawing is scary because other people enjoy it and I just fucked up by this one piece of feedback because I'm a precious fucking snowflake and so I bought various books on you know sort of like how to draw there's a nice Osborne book of like how to draw anything in sort of easy stages and it's nice and algorithmic Mm. but it's very much how to draw a cartoon anything and there's nothing about observation and the thing I love about this book is it talks about observation and the difference between drawing what you think you see and drawing what you actually see which is where I've really really struggled I draw the shapes that I know are there not the shapes that I can actually see and so Jake has got this wonderful it builds it builds it sort of makes some quite giant leaps to be honest but how to start by sketching edges and lines and drawing the negative space instead of the positive space and just different ways of getting out of your own flipping way while trying to draw so Jake thank you for this he didn't give it to me I bought it but but thank you for having written this thank you for being thank you for being and thank you for sharing the stuff that I wish my art teacher had said to me instead of this is not a serious attempt it sounds so daft cod faces her fears by going out and trying to swim to a whale shark I face my fears by sitting quietly with a notepad and trying to draw the edge of a bottle so you know we have very different approaches to fear facing Georgie's more adventurous I don't know I don't know that teacher sounds like a complete scallywag he was but he couldn't actually literally swallow me whereas whale sharks as you said well they can't though really because their throats are only the size of an apple but I get your point still that vortex of childhood criticism and feeling like you are not good enough you're not serious enough that's a pretty bleak, horrible thing to think about. So I think yeah, I'm pretty impressed. How about you, Cod? What are you reading? So I have had another productive reading week, which has been fun. Of the productive reading that I've done, I would like to bring to your attention A Manual for Heartache by Kathy Rensenbrink. Have you heard of that one? I haven't, but it sounds very useful. Just to make it clear to anybody, Kathy Rensenbrink is not my friend. I'd love it if she was. She seems absolutely wonderful. She almost interviewed me once for a festival and then COVID hit. So I never got interviewed by Kathy. And that itself is a heartbreak. It is heartbreak, heartache. It's all achy breaky. Her first nonfiction book was called Last Act of Love, which was about the tragedy that struck their family. Her, I think, younger brother, Matty, was hit by a car and then in a persistent vegetative state for several years before he died. And she published this book to great acclaim and many people began to approach her and talk to her about their tragedies and their sadnesses and how relatable they found her way of describing things. Asking her things like, this terrible event happened to my friend, do you think it's appropriate for me to give last act of love? And that led her to thinking, and probably her editor to thinking, let's write a book that is for those people where 
something terrible has happened to a friend or to you or to a family member, you want to show that they're not alone. You want to give them something to read when they maybe feel up for reading it. And so that was how A Manual for Heartache was born. And it's a very short read. I read it in two sittings in one day. I gobbled it up, really. She's got a very approachable tone. Another one of these very calm people who I'm instinctively drawn to. I'm drawn to either the very calm people or the very mad all over the place people because I want to be one and identify as the other. I actually almost cried. I don't normally cry when I'm reading, but I almost cried. She writes a letter to her seven-year-old son because she often thinks, what would happen if I suddenly died? And, you know, what kind of things would I tell my boy? And I could feel my eyes prickling. And I thought, oh gosh, a few things about the book has stuck with me so far. It's actually on, I think, a recommended reading list at the library for mental health awareness or like mental health guidance, something like that. And she talks about how some events are just like a grenade hitting and there's before the grenade and after the grenade and when you get all these people coming up to you and saying oh you'll get over it or oh you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and all this kind of thing that that are all well meant I'm sure but actually no sometimes things will never be the same again and trying to claw back to how they were before is going to be impossible and make things a hell of worse and I felt like yeah I would recommend this book if anybody's feeling at a loss or lonely or just kind of wants to be in the presence of somebody who has a lot to say she's not she says early on in the book you know she's not a psychologist she's not a specialist she's just somebody who's had some pretty shit things happen to her to put it mildly and has struggled with dealing with those things but has learnt a lot in the process that sounds like a wonderful read and a wonderful thing to be able to give to someone when you can't find the words yourself i think sometimes borrowed words can be immensely powerful Mm. that sounds lovely absolutely Nonfic Pod is brought to you by Emma Byrne, Georgie Codd, Beatrice Bissell, and Mike Wire. Our Patreon backers are Nicola Myrams, Claire and Alexander, Mike Wire, David Corney, Juliet Miller, and Alessandra Coyne. Thank you so much for your support. We heart you long time. I would like to just lose the memory of having said I will stab you in the eyes. Yes, actually, that's true. But then when when you approach the person who you stabbed, uh, threatened, only threatened, only threatened to stab in the eyes, Mm -hmm. then um, they're looking at you and you're like, why look at me so funny? Maybe I should stab you in the eyes so you stop looking at me. You can really help us by rating, reviewing and sharing Nonfic Pod. Every little helps to build our audience and that means we get to share fantastic non-fiction with more people just like you. And it helps us to keep bringing you the greatest authors and the hottest reads. Mm-hmm.